Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So if you turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 19, we'll get ready to start this morning. Genesis chapter 19. Okay. All right. So Genesis 19. Here we go. Let's first of all start in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this great book of Genesis that you've given to us. Thank you so much, Lord, for taking the trouble to make sure that everything was written down for our our learning, for our instruction, for our admonition, Lord, that we might grow in our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us this morning to absorb what you have taken the trouble to give to us In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Genesis chapter 19, beginning verse 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet. You shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night long. And he pressed them pressed upon them greatly. And they turned in unto him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bid bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. And before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out of the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, Do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof, and they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. And the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou any here besides son-in-law and son, thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out, spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. When the morning arose, and the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife, thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. 
And while he lingered, the Lord laid hand upon, laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. Neither stay thou in all the plain, lest gave to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O oh, not sore, so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant has found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto him, in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this city is near unto as a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. He said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city, for the thing thou hast spoken, haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou come thither. Therefore the name of that city is called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar, and the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the city which they grew upon the ground. And his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Well, history of Lot, very important history in the Bible. We finished now Genesis chapter 18, and, 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 and we, last week we looked at some very important two words that were found in verse 23, where it says, and Abraham drew near. Those are the two words, Abraham drew near, chapter 18, verse 23, and he said, and, then, and it goes into his prayer, what a difference those two words meant in what was happening there. It doesn't, it could have said, but it doesn't say, and Abraham said. It says very definitely, Abraham drew near and said. And that made a big, big difference. He became the difference between he became a Christian or he drew near and became a Christian. He became a Christian or he drew near to the Lord Jesus Christ and became a Christian. He read his Bible or he drew near to the Lord Jesus Christ and read his Bible. He studied his Bible, he memorized his Bible, or he drew near to the Lord Jesus Christ, studied, memorized his Bible. He prayed, or he drew near to the Lord Jesus Christ and prayed. He came to church today, or he drew near to the Lord Jesus Christ and came to church, took communion, or he drew near to the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, etc. Oh, what a difference it makes. And the greatest danger we face as a Christian is just to go through the action we know the lingo, we know the motions, we can go through the motions, we can say the lingo, or we can draw near to the Lord Jesus Christ and do those actions and say those things. That's the difference that those two words made in uh, verse 23 of Abraham. He drew near, and it's a challenge to us. When we start in the morning, open up our Bible, not just to, just to say, Lord, I just don't want to read, I want to draw near to the Lord Jesus Christ and read. I don't just want to pray. I want to draw near to the Lord Jesus Christ and pray. That's all the difference in the world that, that it makes. Now, Abraham did that because he did something that's described in Jeremiah 30, verse 21, where it says, I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach unto me. Uh, who is this that engaged his heart to approach unto me? See, first Abraham made a decision within himself uh, that's described in Gen Jeremiah 30, verse 21. He engaged his heart to draw, to approach unto God. And then, after he engaged his heart to approach unto God, God caused him to draw near and to approach unto him. See, 
So God looks on us. It's a great encouragement for us. But God looks on us, and he asks the question, is this one who has engaged his heart to draw close to me, to approach to me? Because if he is, then I'll cause him to draw near to me. And that's the difference that it made there. Now, we come now, as we said here in, in chapter 19, to the history of Lot. They're one of the most important characters in the Bible. And this chapter, above all, all other places, really gets into the person of Lot. This is a chapter, of course, of great judgment. And what we find in, verse, in chapter 19 is ju- the judgment of God. The judgment of God is described in the Bible as an act of God. The judgment of God is described in the Bible as the work of God. But there's a word that's used to describe this act, this work of God, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 21, where it says, He shall be wroth, or angry, as in the valley of Gibeon, that, me, that he, God, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. The judgment of God is called the work of God. It's called the act of God because God is the judge. We know who that is. The Lord Jesus Christ made it crystal clear to us when he spoke in John 5, and he said, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So the person who is doing this strange work, this strange act, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word is strange, is that he may do his strange work, that he may do his, his strange act. Now, I said there's one word to describe God's judgment, and I said it's the word strange. And, and, and I said one word because that's the word that we have in our English Bibles. We have the one word strange, but it's not true. Because actually there are two Hebrew words used, two different Hebrew words that are used in that passage of Isaiah 28, 21 for the single word that's translated strange. It's not the same word. The first one is the word zor, zor. The Hebrew word zor describes the strangeness of God's judgment at work. And the second one is the Hebrew word nokri, and that describes the strangeness of, of God's judgment. Now, those are both uh, words which come alive for us when we look in the book of Proverbs because those are the two words which are used to describe the strange woman. The first word, zur, is used in Proverbs 5.20 where it says, why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with the strange woman? Zor, zor, woman, and, and embrace the bosom of a stranger. The word, the second word that's used to describe the judgment of God, nokri, is used also to describe the strange woman in Proverbs 6.24, where it says that God has given the commandments to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman, nokri, strange woman, nokri woman. Those are the words, zor and nokri, those two different words, to describe God's judgment. And just as the adulterous woman is strange to a man, she's not his wife, she's not familiar, uh, he's not familiar with her, he, she's foreign, she's alien, he's not at home with her. When the man is with the adulterous woman, his heart is not comfortable. It's not as it's described 
in Proverbs 31.11, the heart of her husband does safely trust in his wife, in her. She's strange. The adulterous woman is strange. She's foreign. That's the sense. That's the sense about how God feels about judgment. It's foreign to God. He's not at home with it. It's an alien to him, does it? He has to do it. But it's not what he wants to do at all. Because it's why, why, and then how? Because uh, why is it foreign to God? Because of how God the judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, is described in John 1, where it says in John 1, 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full, redundant, full of grace and truth. And a little bit later on, it says in verse 17, John 1, 17, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who's full of grace and truth. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, the war with God was ended. It was over, as it says in Psalm 85.10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Beautiful verse, Psalm 85.10. Truth and righteousness called for our judgment. It calls for this strange work of God, this strange act of God, the judgment. It calls for destruction that we're reading about in chapter 19 of Genesis. There's no reconciliation between truth and mercy. There's no reconciliation between righteousness and peace except for the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. That's where truth, the truth came, the truth that said we deserve judgment. And judgment wasn't satisfied but until we could, and so we could receive mercy only when judgment was satisfied. And the righteousness that demanded our judgment, that was satisfied. See, that's the word to describe the cross, satisfied. See, when, 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 when the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, he cried out, asa, made, or detelestai, uh, but he didn't speak Greek, but anyway, that's what's written. When he cried out, finished, or accomplished, when he cried that out, you know there was another cry that's not written, that was in heaven. You know what that cry was from heaven? Satisfied. See, he cries out, uh, finished, or accomplished, or made. And then God the Father from Isaiah 53, 11, cries out, satisfied. Enough, dainu, that's enough. And that's the great reconciliation that took place. That's the summit meeting at the cross where mercy and truth happened at the cross. They met in this great summit meeting. There were warring parties mercy and truth, but they met together at the place of reconciliation, which was the cross. And the great kiss happened there, as it's described, the kiss between righteousness and peace, who never would have kissed before. They were at odds. But righteousness and kiss, righteousness and peace kissed each other at the place of reconciliation, the cross. That was the kiss that was felt around the world. When the righteousness, when the righteous demands of God were met at the cross. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ is described as our peace in Ephesians 2.14, where it says, He is our peace who hath made both one 
and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So in the Lord Jesus Christ, reconciliation between God and man happened. And that's why, that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And God loves to show this great grace and mercy and peace. And that's, uh, and that's what he feels so at home with. He's so familiar with that. He's so comfortable but judgment, it's foreign. He doesn't like it. he got to do it. He doesn't want to. That's why it's a strange act. That's why it's a strange work. Now, okay, we talk about this, this chapter. It's the judgment of God. And this chapter, but as we said in the beginning, this is really the, the chapter that brings out for us, more than any other in the Bible, the person of Lot, the history of Lot one of the most important characters in the Bible. And this is, that's what we want to focus on in our study. Who was Lot? The history of Lot. Now, we'll go back, we'll look more, we'll kind of comb through this chapter, go through verse by verse, but right now we're just really focused on Lot. And so what we want to understand about Lot is one question that we're going to be getting to. What happened to Lot? What in the world happened to Lot? So in order to understand that, there's lots of angles that we can take as we look at Lot. We can look at Lot and say, and look at him from the angle of Lot the selfish man, Lot the treacherous man, Lot the coward. Well, we can look at those. But there's also some good sides of Lot, you know. <laughs> and, and because after all, when the New Testament describes Lot in 2 Peter 2, 7 through 9, it uses certain very interesting adjectives to describe him. It says that in 2 Peter 2, 7 through 9, and delivered just, the just man. Lot, just Lot. So that's Lot, the just man. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man, it's Lot we're talking about, that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. For the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly, out of temptation and to reserve the unjust for the day of judgment to be punished. So in those verses, Lot is described as Lot, a just man. Lot, a righteous man. Lot, a man with a righteous soul. Lot, a godly man. So we want to look at Lot from that angle. We want to see Lot the just, Lot the righteous, Lot the godly. All right. Now, our chapter starts with a certain picture of Lot in Genesis 19, 1 through 3. We read there that two angels appear. They come to Sodom at night, at even. And Lot sits in the city gate of Sodom. And it says, And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face to the ground. And he said, he said, Behold now, my lords, plural, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house. And tarry all night, wash your feet, you should rise up early, go on your ways. They said, nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And verse 3, and he pressed upon them greatly. And they turned in unto him and entered the house and made a feast. Baked unleavened bread and they did eat. So verse 1, we see here's the two angels coming to Sodom. We notice the time of the day. It's evening at evening. We see where Lot is. He's sitting in the gate of Sodom. And as soon as Lot sees these these two, he gets up and he goes to meet him and he puts his face on the ground in this bowing. And he said, he said, and then he calls them my lords. 
and he calls himself their servant, and he invites him to the house to his house to spend the night, and he offers him water. And he says, I'll, "And I'll give you water. You wash your feet." And, he, and then he presses on them to stay at his house, and and when they do, he makes this huge feast for them. Now, all this shows something about Lot. Nothing else. We see Lot was that hospitable man. He was hospitable. It was evening. It was nighttime. I don't know how Lot felt in the evening. I know I feel in the evening. (laughs) You know how you feel in the evening. It's the end of the day. You're tired. And Lot sees these two angels, and and he gets up, and he runs to meet them. You know, he didn't say like, maybe I'd say. He'd say, I'm tired. It's been a long, rough day. I'm just looking forward to putting my feet up kicking back a little bit, having a good rest. Take the phone off the hook and hang the do not disturb sign on the door. You know, <laughs> I'm over and out, right? But that, Lot didn't do that. Lot didn't say, I can't be bothered, you know, entertaining anyone tonight. I'm off. No, when Lot saw these two, these guests come, he forgot about how he tired he was. And he just, it's remarkable when you read this, he springs into this action. He's like, he's ready for the company. That's a good thing about Lot. That's a good thing about Lot. He's hospitable. And so it says in Hebrews 13, 2, a verse that we talked about for Abraham, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some, not one, but some have entertained angels unawares. See, that word some's real important because it's not just referring to Abraham, but it's also referring to Lot here. He didn't know they were angels. He thought they were just strangers. He was being hospitable. And so he, got, he thought, oh, I got a chance to entertain strangers. And when it says, Lot seeing them rose up to meet them, did he ever? Goes and puts his face on the ground and so forth. Great respect, shows his humility. And he calls them my lords. And by the way, this is very important here. He called them my lords. And in the Hebrew, that's the word Adonai. So the word Adonai is my lords. Now, that's important for us because one chapter back in verse 12, 18, 12, Sarah says, laughed within herself, saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? Then she refers to Abraham, and she calls him my Lord, uh, being also. It's very important that, that, that what she did. It's called out in, uh, in Peter, 1 Peter 3, 6, where it's, uh, it's, that, that, that's called out, and it says, even as Sarah obeyed, Abraham calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, if you do well and not afraid with any amazement. Husbands can really make their wives afraid with a lot of amazement, <laughs> my wife will tell you. Anyway, but um, uh, so she calls him my Lord, see, in, in, in Genesis 18, 12. So what I'm trying to say is that she called him my Lord, singular, because she only had one husband, that was Abraham, my Lord, that's what she was referring to. That's the word Adoni. So in Hebrew, when you want to say, my Lord, you say like Abraham, uh, like Sarah said about her husband Abraham, you say, Adoni. That's what Rachel said in Genesis 31, 35, when she was talking to her father, Laban, and she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord, Adoni, that I cannot rise up. So you see, when you say, my Lord, as in singular, as Rachel said, as Sarah said, you say, Adoni. But when you want to say my lords, as um, Lot does here, you say Adonai. He didn't know they were God. He didn't say, these are angels. He thinks they're just strangers and men. But he just said my lords, as it's written, and it's the word Adonai. Now, why is that important? Well, very simple, because Adonai is a plural word. It literally means my lords. 
And Adonai is obviously the word that's used for God. And so God is called literally my lords. When you say Adonai, you're saying my lords. And because Adonai is a plural word, it means that my lords. Now, why is Adonai a plural word when it refers to God? Why isn't, why isn't God referred to Adon, as Adoni, as both Rachel referred to her father and Sarah refers to Abraham? Why, call, why don't you call God Adoni? And the answer is, for the same reason why Elohim is a plural word, God's. Because as Elohim, as we've seen already, refers to the Trinity of God, of God the Father, the God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a, Elohim's a plural word for that purpose. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711 330 Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.